0: My name is Kate the Socialite, and you're listening to episode 236 of The Kate Show. Guys, I don't normally interview other marketers on my podcast, but sometimes the opportunity is just too good to pass up. If you feel confused about SEO and wish there was an SEO expert who specialized in the design build industry, today is your day. My guest on The Kate Show is Daniela Furtado of Findable Digital Marketing. When I did my research on her agency, I felt like I found my marketing sister from another mister. She's highly focused, niche-specific, and she leads a team of other women. Sound familiar? Yeah. Plus, she has the same no-nonsense approach to search engine optimization that I rant about often on this show. So get ready to have your burning SEO questions answered, explained, and expounded on. I'm going to give you a little bit more information about Daniela before I get into my conversation with her, just to give you some context about where she's coming from. Daniela Furtado is on a mission to be the marketing teacher many designers and architects didn't get in school. She helms a digital marketing agency in Toronto, Canada, and helps design and build firms across North America market themselves and grow their businesses online, using SEO to help clients double their revenue and get featured in international press. With a master's degree in digital marketing and several years of experience working for large companies before starting her own agency, Daniela takes the best of what she learned and teaches the most meaningful parts to her team and clients. With her scrappy personality and a strong belief that we can be creative and data-driven, Daniela enjoys making the mysteries of marketing simple and attainable. Whether it's in a meeting room, a classroom, or on stage, she has a knack for teaching technical and boring topics with spice and humor. I don't know about you guys, but I didn't find any of these things boring. And once you hear my conversation with her, I think that you will agree. She comes at us with a lot of information that is completely relevant to running a business in the home industry. And speaking of being in the home industry, I want to thank one of today's sponsors, Side Door, for sponsoring this episode of The K Show. Because as an interior designer, you might feel like the only way to make more money in your business is to work more hours. But after a while, doesn't that start to feel a little bit I don't know, archaic, exhausting, hard on your health, Side Door presents another option. Selling trade-only products and earning an average commission of 30% on each sale isn't just genius, it's about scaling. Not only do you have more income potential than affiliate marketing could offer you, But you also don't have to worry about the headache of inventory, handling orders, shipping returns, or customer support. Just curate a room package, make the sale, and get paid. Side Door does the rest. You can sell each package over and over, or offer a custom service that lets you handcraft a package for each client. Either way, Side Door is a smarter way to scale your design firm. To make money with Side Door, apply to join them. Go to onsidedoor.com to get started today. I'd also like to thank HoneyBook. Looking for a streamlined, automated client process to uplevel your business? Look no further. HoneyBook can automate your client bookings, questionnaires, contracts, and invoices. Go to honeybook.com and use the code Socialite to receive 35% off your first year. All right, guys, let's get into my conversation with Daniela Furtado. Marketing your interior design or home staging business should be easy and relational. My name is Kate the Socialite, and I believe in action, not just ideas, and I share strategies that have proven to work right here every week. If you're serious about growing your business in the home industry, you're in the right place. Welcome to The Kate Show. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to The Kate Show. I'm here with Daniela Furtado. Daniela, thank you so much for being
1: on the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to talk about SEO.
0: I am too. And like I mentioned before we started recording, the fact that you do SEO for the home industry is just so perfect. Like I was really excited when I started researching your agency because we seem to have very similar mindsets when it comes to do things that work and things that have proven to work versus just things that are trendy. That's why I've got all sorts of questions for you. So I'm not even going to waste time rambling. I just want to get right into it. Can you define what SEO is just to make
1: sure all of the people listening are on the same page as us? Sure. So search engine optimization or SEO is the practice of tailoring your website to a search engine typically we think about google um, but really a search engine is something that has a, a search bar so it could be google it could be bing it could be yahoo it could also be pinterest or instagram or spotify what you see on these platforms i'll speak speak specifically to Google, what you see on Google is not random. People have either paid to be there or they've taken the time to understand Google's algorithm and tailor or optimize their website accordingly. I can talk about what the algorithm specifically likes, if you'd like. I would love that. Actually, everyone
0: listening would love that because for a lot of us, SEO and Google are a mystery.
1: Yes, yes, it is quite elusive. So there are 200 ranking factors. That means that Google looks at 200 things to determine how it's going to rank websites. Some of those factors we know about because Google explicitly tells us, other things the industry has had to figure out through experiments, research, and testing. And SEO professionals come together and we share that information. I like to break down those 200 ranking factors into five groups technical or off-page, content or on-page, design and user experience, local, and backlinks.
0: That's actually a lot right there. I mean, when you said there's 200 factors, I could just hear everyone like, oh no. (laughs) But just the ones that you listed, I mean, that's a lot of grounds to cover. And has SEO changed a lot in recent years?
1: Yeah, so if you think 200 ranking factors is a lot, there are actually 500 updates to the algorithm every year. So that's more than running bay. <laughs> but of those 500 updates, only three or four are what we call core updates or updates really worth paying attention to and may or may not really change the way you do SEO. I think, however, if um, you're practicing ethical SEO, meaning you're not trying to cheat the algorithm, you're not doing any sort of hat SEO tactics, then you are fine. No matter what update comes out, if you're committed to keeping your website technically proof, according to Google standards, making it mobile friendly, easy for crawlers to navigate, and you're committed to providing quality, relevant, helpful content, then you can't really go wrong. The thing is, is that You know, what is quality? Content is subjective. Everyone has a different idea of it.
0: Now, I know this wasn't in the list of questions that was sent to you before the interview, but I have to ask, this is the perfect time to ask, how do you see artificial intelligence creating content working for or against people when it comes to using it to, quote unquote, create content for SEO?
1: yeah this is a great question, and I think my answer is going to change as we learn more about it. So don't take anything I say too too seriously. Um, but just from my observation and talking to other people in the industry, it seems like Google doesn't really care if it's written by AI or humans. What matters is if it's fitting the search query, like if it's answering the questions that people are asking and if it's optimized. So like, is it using keywords? And really, if the content is explicitly answering a question, then it will naturally use keywords. So it seems like Google doesn't really care if it's AI or not. But just because it's written by AI doesn't mean that it does a good job of answering the question or being helpful to the user.
0: Yes, and that's a good point. And I know that Google itself has said on their blog, they still prioritize high quality content, no matter who has written it. And at least with AI right now and the many, many AI tools that are out there, you can get something that at face value reads well. I mean, like it uses correct grammar, but what it does is just repeat the same thing over and over. Have you seen that too?
1: Yeah, definitely. So internally in our Among our team, we have a no AI policy for writers. So our developers and SEO managers can, they find it very effective when writing code, for example, or doing technical work. But when it comes to writing, we just find it safer to not use it because like you said, the content is very redundant. A lot of our work, we are working with designers and leaders in the space that have very specific opinions on certain topics, right? So you got to interview them and just they're the source, not like scraping the, the internet for information. So yeah, and, and chat GBT or whatever AI tool you use can do that. It can't do critical thinking. It can't give opinions industry inside. It can't speak to the process of a project. It can include quotes as well. So yeah, I, we do see that.
0: Yeah, and I'm glad that you have a no AI policy. We have the same thing. And we're creating content that's a bit different than what you guys create. But it still comes back to the same idea of the human brain is still better. And authenticity is rewarded in SEO and As is quality. And it is still pretty easy to tell if something's been written by AI, even if you run it through another tool to kind of like dress it up and hide that fact. But then there's the issue of copyright like, who owns the copyright if no human wrote it? I don't know how all of that's going to be ironed out, but it is good to know that at the end of the day, quality is still what matters. Now, what have you experienced as far as are people still trying to do keyword stuffing? Is that a big thing that
1: you get clients asking for? No, actually I find, well, I guess it depends what type of clients. I find clients that have a big commitment to brand. I find clients that are very dedicated to thought leadership, authenticity, creativity, whatever words you want to give it. They care a lot about the words on their page of A lot of designers don't want to have too much content on their page to, to begin with. They want the design and the photos to speak for themselves. So it's already quite challenging sometimes to get the right amounts of content to find that right balance. And so, yeah, I find a lot of in the design space, keywords kind of feel icky and just how like it can come. If you don't know how to write with keywords with skill, they can come off as fluffy, redundant. Kind of robotic. So I actually don't see keyword stuffing as a problem in the the design space. It's usually using them enough to rank, but then also, you know, not. So it's like you want to use it the right amount of times. Not too much that it feels inauthentic, but not enough so that it's not ranking at all.
0: Yeah, it's definitely an art and a science. And when you said that really the issue was trying to get Designers to be okay with having enough words on the page, I had to giggle a little bit because that's what we run into as well. Uh, sometimes we will have a client ask for a homepage that's literally just an image. Yeah. Nothing else. Not a single word, nothing. Just the main menu and one image. And we're like, oh, n- no. You know, artistically, maybe, but it doesn't give what Google and other search engines need in order to understand what this website is about, which brings me to the next question. What are the core elements? that a website should have in order to have good on-site SEO.
1: Yeah, if I can add to what you said about the homepage, it's not just about Google giving Google enough content to understand what the page is about so that it could, you know, match you or rank you to the right keyword. Just a user, a general user, even if it's, they're not funny it's Google, having a little bit of content to understand what it is that you do. Like, are you an interior designer or decorator? Are you an architect? Like, what exactly did you do to the space? Having language to pair with the photos can give people more uh, context and appreciation for uh, your profession. Going back to your question about what are the factors that Google looks for on a website? If I can, I would go back to that the group of five. So like I said, there are 200 factors grouped into five. Technical is one. Content is another. Design and user experience backlinks and local. So when we think about technical, what we're referring to is Google's bots. How easy is it from Google's bots to navigate your site? Is it mobile friendly? Is it responsive? Are the links working? Are there pop-ups that are intruding and blocking Google from going from one page to the next? Is your website coded with JavaScript? If so, Google doesn't read JavaScript very well. Is there a sitemap that's submitted through Google Search Console? So these are the technical factors that we take into consideration. And I think if, as long as you build the website well and you keep these things in mind as you update it, you don't really need to do an audit all that often. Once a year, an audit, clean it up that's enough. It's not something that you have to maintain as regularly as you have to do with content, which brings me to the second group. So content is, I think, a bigger beast. It's something that needs, it's a lot more work for um, smaller websites. And a smaller websites, I say, are websites of less than 5,000 pages. So most, uh, unless you have an e-commerce, most professional service firms like designers and architects are considered a small website. And so content is a lot more important to you. So if you want to rank on the first page for interior designer near me or an interior designer in Vancouver or luxury interior designer, you have to actually use those words on your website. So what that's what we look for is, do you have a homepage or a service page that uses those keywords that describe your services? And then using content on your your portfolio or case studies and blog. Your case studies are a great way to target keywords that are more specific, like specific to a neighborhood or a style. And your blog posts are a great way to target keywords specific to maybe your expertise or process or common questions about your services. So understanding the keywords you want to be targeting, the keywords or the language that your customers are searching for on Google to find services like yours, and then mapping it out throughout your site and creating content accordingly. So that's technical, that's content. The third group is local. If you're in Vancouver, you don't care how you rank in Tokyo. <laughs> so having a Google Maps listing, I'm surprised how many businesses don't have it. That's a very easy, low-hanging fruit. Create a Google Maps listing Get reviews updated every once in a while with photos and updates or posts. That will really help with your rankings within your geographic location. That's the third group. The fourth group is backlinks. And I like to call this digital PR. So you could say you are the best interior designer in uh, New York, but if nobody else is saying that on their site and linking to you, it only has so much weight. And Google does pay attention to that. So Submitting your website to local directories, BIAs, and most importantly, getting your projects featured and linked in design publications, podcasts, and conferences even really help with your SEO. The last one is design and user experience. I think that one's intuitive. You know, have a well-designed website and it kind of takes care of itself. So those are the five groups, I think, and boxes designers need to keep in mind as they design and nurture their their websites.
0: Yeah, I love that. That's a really good comprehensive summary without being too overwhelming for listeners. And a question that I get a lot from my listeners is, well, how many projects should I feature on my site? Because I've got two different ends of the spectrum asking this question. The first one is the new designer who really doesn't have any projects, and she feels very embarrassed about that, but she wants a website so that she can get the projects. And then there's the other end of the spectrum where you have a very well-established design build firm. and they have hundreds of photographed projects and each project has like 50 photos. I mean, it becomes so much. So like, is there some sort of magic number as
1: far as how many projects they should feature on their site? I don't think there is a magic number, uh, not from an SEO point of view or you know, any sort of marketing consultant's point of view. Personally, I'm a big fan of specializing, niching down, having tight positioning. So I think three portfolio pieces, as long as they are well-positioned, are a great start. As long as it has some sort of synergy. I like to see, especially when I'm hiring a service professional, I like to see that someone is an expert. So if you specialize in cafes and you only have three portfolio pieces, but they're all cafes, then that has so much more credibility behind your expertise versus if you had one cafe, one condo, and one house. So I think quality is more important than the quantity. And then the same goes to people that have big firms that have dozens of of, uh, projects. I would say, again, tighten it up. What do you want to be known for? What do you want to really stand out? Tighten up your positioning. So like if you really just want to get more commercial work, presenting your commercial work and not your residential, and focus on the projects that resemble the work that you want to attract more of so put your best projects out there and the ones that were really small that had little budgets that you did six years ago you don't have to put that on your sites anymore (laughs) no
0: and nobody's going to be offended if you take their project off your website and yeah i like less is more quality over quantity do you also recommend that people write a blog post for every project that they
1: have on their site a great question. I think it's important to have a content strategy. Personally, I don't like blog posts that are like, five tips to choosing wallpaper in your bathroom. <laughs> I, that's a classic SEO blog post. I'm maybe a little bit unconventional in my approach to SEO. I really take a thought leadership approach. I really think blog posts, if you're going to spend the time and money writing a blog post, it's really got to demonstrate your expertise. It's really got to get people understanding the the work that you do, your knowledge, your process, give them a sneak peek of what it's like to work with you. And, you know, five tips to choosing wallpaper is not the most that interior designers and architects have to offer. So. I think blog posts should revolve around your process and your expertise. So looking at a project, is there a story, a deeper story that you can tell in a blog post? So for example, we have one client that designed this beautiful home and the client, their client, the homeowner, really wanted to use black in the space. And so uh, she has a portfolio page where you can see the photos, but it really doesn't there's no content that explains how she made it work, how she was able to use so much black without making the space look suffocating, and even the electrical planning that went into it to make sh- making sure that place the hall was well lit. A blog post can allow you to do that. So for her we're writing a blog post about electrical planning using that project as examples throughout, and then we're writing another piece, another blog post about using the color black in in your home. So you see how that one project, if you think about the project and the expertise or the process behind it, it'll give you ideas to write content or write blog posts. And then from there, you can find keywords that are a fit. So we've got a specific process when creating strategy. It's about figuring out, okay, what are your customers looking for? But then what are what's your expertise and kind of finding, you know, so you imagine a Venn diagram and what's in the middle and that's five.
0: I like it. And I like how you approach a project, like projects are multi-layered
1: and yes. you don't have to just
0: write one blog post about that project and call it a day. You can parcel out different, items in that project and turn them all into their own pieces of content, which is genius. And that means even if you have only one professionally photographed project on your website, you can turn it into what looks like a lot more content that way. So that's actually amazing.
1: And there might be overlaps, right? You might have themes that you've done in every single project. You can write about whatever that theme is and highlight all those projects that are relevant. So you don't have to look at it like, Per project, I'm going to write X amount of blog posts. I think it goes back again to positioning. What do you want to be known for? What are your customers looking for? And then everything falls into place afterwards. Then you'll figure out which projects to highlight, what blog post topics to write about, how to feature your projects in those blogs.
0: Okay, so switching gears a little bit here. How does social media impact SEO, if at
1: all? Yes, this is a really cool topic. So in the industry, in the SEO industry, people say that SEO has no impact. Google has blatantly said that it's not a ranking factor. But I'm starting to see that Google is seeing is, is putting an emphasis on personal branding. So it's putting an emphasis on people's names. And with that, it looks at social media. So if you a high profile designer for example and you search your name you might find that your search results look a little different your name comes up on the right hand side it's got a bio about you you have your social media links if you have a book then it will be featured there if you have very big press features you'll get snippets this is called a knowledge panel when you see that and so we're seeing that there's an Big push for personal branding in Google's algorithm, and that push is fueled or or triggered with social media. There's a very uh, notable SEO consultant. Her name is Lily Ray, and she's noticed this and she speaks right publicly about how she speculates that social media does have an impact on SEO, but specifically SEO for personal brands. So it's not official, but that's what I can tell you about the role social media has.
0: Yeah, no, that's really interesting. I kind of like starting with that anecdotal evidence where it's like, we just feel like because we have our hand on the pulse of the industry that perhaps it is a factor. And so it's interesting that you say for personal brands. So would that mean that let's just say a lesser known interior designer, should she change her Instagram handle to her name versus her business? Or does this more so apply to, like you said, the bigger names in the industry?
1: Yes, a great question. I'm actually writing an article for the Canadian Architects Magazine about this. So I'm I'm um, doing the research uh, right now. It, it doesn't matter if you're a big name or brand, like a, a big or small designer, because Google doesn't know, you know, Google doesn't know if you're a big deal or not. It's just looking at the backlinks. If you remember that term I said earlier, it's looking at the links and the press features that you're getting. It's looking at how much your name is used online so for anyone that wants to take up more real estate on google search engine results page big or small designer maybe you're a big designer but you haven't been very active online and you want to build your personal brand you want to make it easier for people to find you It definitely starts with having digital assets that's what i'm going to call them digital assets with your name so social media handles with your name a website domain with your name And then bylines, if you write on publications, in magazines, having your name in the byline. If you have a podcast, including your name in the podcast or the YouTube channel. If you have a book, uh, so on and so forth. So having your name on digital assets, social media, Wikipedia, book, podcast, whatever it may be, helps Google connect the dots and give you that knowledge panel it's hard to describe in words unless i like share my screen with you but if you search uh, a notable interior designer you'll see that their their search engine results page looks different it, it has more emphasis on their name their description their their photos and you do that with um with having your name everywhere yeah oh, that makes complete sense and then
0: That's one thing. So that's really about taking control of your own PR or working with the PR agency to get those proper, uh, get your links out, get the backlinks out there, get your name out there. But then there's this other aspect of getting clients. And in your experience, what is more practical for getting clients? I mean, are you helping your own clients get their clients through social media? Because from what I understood, you guys don't offer social media management, and we don't either for various reasons. So I'm curious about your take on this. Like, is social media for getting clients in the design industry? Is it overhyped, or is it just being
1: done incorrectly, or is
0: there a third option?
1: So the question is, like, why don't we offer social media? Or do interior designers get clients from social media nowadays? All of the about, yeah, (laughs) whatever opinions or evidence or uh, any background
0: that you have on that, because it's actually a really hot topic because some designers are like, I am so sick of Instagram. And then there will be a few that are like, well, I get some small projects from Instagram and then others, which are like big names in the quote unquote real world will be like, I have never gotten a client from Instagram and I also don't care. You know, so it's like all over the board and I'm just curious how you've seen it work or not work.
1: Yeah, I get the question a lot. Like, should I do Google or social media? I only have X amounts of money for marketing. Where should I dedicate it? I think it's important to think about the target customer first instead of the platform first. I think it's um, a better way of thinking about marketing and business. So have a very specific target customer in mind and figure out where they're spending their time online. If they're spending a lot of their time on Instagram or Pinterest or TikTok, be there. If they're spending their time on Google, be there. And so your target customer, understanding where they spend their time, will inform you where you should be putting your time, where you should be marketing yourself.
0: Today's episode of The Kate Show is brought to you in part by the Window Coverings Association of America. If you're an interior designer, a window treatment specialist, or an installer looking for business growth, listen up. With an annual membership to the WCAA, you'll receive trade discounts, ongoing education, and an exclusive listing in their homeowner-facing directory of professionals, which by the way, guys, makes it a lot easier for people to find you. Whether you've been working in the home industry forever, or you're fresh out of design school, the WCAA can help you take your business to the next level whether you're just trying to scale up or you're just getting started. Go to
1: WCAA.org for more details. I do have some clients that get quite a... It's not common, I will say, but I do have some clients that they get a lot of work from Instagram and they, those are clients that dedicate a lot of their time and money to professionally photographing their projects. And creating reels or short videos on site, in those in those um, on property, and they've been doing Instagram for a very long time. And people are coming to them for their aesthetic more than anything else. I do hear about it, but it's not it's not super common. I think the stats on consumer behaviors are are really interesting as well. In two thousand and eleven, there were only 100 searches for the keyword interior designer near me. Um, And you can look at this on Google Trends. You go to Google Trends, you search interior designer near me, and it will show you how much volume that keyword was getting month to month. There were only 100 searches in 2011. And nowadays in 2023, there are 60,000 searches a month. So that really speaks to how consumers are looking for designers. In the early 2000s, it was very common for people to look for a designer through word of mouth. And and it was very common for designers to be making six figures, seven figures without even having a website or an abandoned website. Nowadays, that's still possible, but it's becoming less common. We're seeing that consumers are not just asking for word of mouth. Even if they do ask for word of mouth, they're still following up with a Google search. They're looking up your your company name online. They're navigating your website before they reach out. More and more people are just going directly to Google looking for services, looking for designers opposed to asking around their their network. So that's something I think worth paying attention to there's also a lot more competition nowadays right it's a the barrier to entry to starting a business is not what it used to be so that's how I would answer that question pay attention to your customers how they make decisions what their consumer behaviors are like and that will inform your entire marketing strategy I agree. I resonate with that so much. And
0: I think it is easy for people, and I was this way when I first started my business. It was easy to get distracted by what's trending in marketing, by what colleagues were doing in marketing, like, oh, they're doing Instagram stories every day. I guess I should be doing that. Or like there are so many things we have to be like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Is this where my ideal client hangs out? And even if my ideal client is on Instagram, how are they using Instagram? Yeah. What I have found with kind of diving into the user behavior on, it always goes back to Instagram because I feel like that's just the biggest one for interior design right now. Sure. People are on there not searching for services. They're looking to be entertained. They're looking for some retail products. But the reason why even really well-known designers don't tend to get a lot of consistent work from instagram is because the demographic on there is just not in alignment with their ideal client and that's okay and like i am often people on this podcast like you can still enjoy using social media or don't enjoy it for your business as long as you have the right perspective of this is really about handling your own pr and about customer relationships it's not necessarily about lead generation and yeah be caveats to that. There's always going to be that one design that it's like, but I get all my work from Instagram. Okay, fine. Fine. I get that. But I actually would like to highlight something that your agency posted on your blog. Okay. I'm going to, I'm actually going to read a paragraph from it because I thought it was, it was so interesting. So here is what um, you guys said, and everyone listening, you can go to Findable's blog to actually read this entire article for yourself. But basically it says, when we asked a visual storyteller at Lux Decor, which is a full service interior design and decor studio to tell us about the time and effort they put into their Instagram account that has over 46,000 followers, she told us we have a content creator working part-time, a full-time visual storyteller capturing photo and video, and a full-time marketing intern working on engaging on that account daily. Okay, so they've got three people, two of them being full time, just working on social media. And then the firm gets most of their leads through referrals. Yeah. And like, so that is very telling to me, like you can invest lots of time and money into social media, but you don't have to necessarily be like, OK, now I'm going to get lots of clients out of it because Lux Decor, even in your article, states that we understand this is to maintain and build customer loyalty.
1: Yeah, so they understand there's an ecosystem. So they understand that you have a customer and the way you nurture them or stay in touch with them is through social media. And that's why they're investing so much of their resources into it. They're not expecting Instagram to give them completely new customers. They're using it to stay in touch or be, like they said, loyalty, right? Stay in touch with existing customers and keep them either get repeat customers or people that have worked with them, keep them top of mind. So when someone asks them, they are referring to them. So, yeah, I, I think that's also important to to keep in mind is that a social media or a marketing channel may not be the thing that gives you lead generation directly, but maybe indirectly. Mm-hmm. Yes,
0: yeah, so there's never going to be that golden ticket of, oh, this is the one thing that's going to just... Like get me all my leads and it's going to convert them. It's like a one and done deal because it's really more like a recipe, you know, a little yeah. bit of this and a little bit of that. Like what I've seen working and they with, all together. They do. Yes, exactly. So it's like a designer might or might not use social media, but perhaps she does email marketing and hopefully she has an a great SEO focused website and hopefully she's blogging in a way that makes sense for her ideal client. And all of those things work together. And hopefully they have lead capture, you know, and and so that people can go from the website to the email marketing and convert that way. And that's something that I do talk about a lot on this podcast, where it's never going to be just one thing yeah. that helps market and grow your business. It's going to be a culmination of the right things. And sometimes it's simpler than people would make it out to be. But what I really want to do now is ask you, about something else that you wrote on your website and maybe it was you or someone on your team. But I believe they quoted you as saying, you don't like the saying, quote, unquote, know your worth. So I really want you to break that apart for us because that's fascinating. I've heard that phrase everywhere. So tell me,
1: why don't you like it? I found it to be very deceiving business advice when I started I think value or worth is relative. The deeper their problem is, the more valuable your solution or services are. So it's not that doesn't have to do with your personal worth. It's about knowing the value to that person. You know, it's not about you. It's about them. You want me to go more into that? Yes, please continue. Because like I said, we
0: hear this advice everywhere. Yeah. So I like that you're going against the grain of that okay. <laughs> yeah. yes, I, I really do okay so it's about them not about the business owner so yeah
1: elaborate yeah so for example I could provide SEO services to two different companies both of them like SEO but one has a deeper need for it than the other and because they have a deeper need they're willing to pay more money one basic example it's let's say uh, an e-commerce you know, and a, a company that sells furniture, if I can do the same SEO thing and <laughs> provide the same SEO service and that leads to fifty percent more revenue versus another company where it might lead to twenty percent more revenue. the one that's fifty percent more revenue is gonna value my service so much more. So it's not that like I am worth X amounts. That's why they're paying me. It's like no, because my services are more more relevant to them. My brother and my dad—they both work in construction, and construction is a very high demand uh, skill set in North America right now. And my dad and my brother love to brag about how much money they make, and you know, I'm not going to work for less than this. You know, they they really like to flaunt, you know, how desired they are in the industry because they're so hardworking and they will been working in this for so many years. And I tell them like, what if we picked you up and put you in Mexico and you did the exact same job? They wouldn't pay you as much because you have a lot more competition because there's not as much demand for this skill set. So it's not that you are worth so much and you're so valuable. It's that it's how your skills how much your skills are demanded and valued in the environment that you're in. It's about being in the right place at the right time. And you're, there's a little bit of luck.
0: (laughs) Yeah. So that's a very interesting perspective shift because I think in a way it takes pressure off of people because now it's not, oh, I, I need to be of certain value or I need to feel like this worth is represented, but it's more like, again, making it about the client. Am yeah. I offering something that helps the client? Yes. Okay. Then what I'm offering is valuable. It is worth the money they're going to pay me. And I think it helps us separate our personal worth from our service worth because exactly. those things get so wrapped up in each other.
1: Yeah, absolutely. When you're selling a service, we attach ourselves to the business and the service so closely. And that's why I didn't like the advice, know your worth is because it was I was having a hard time to attach the two. And if someone said no to me and to the proposal, sorry, let me, I see I got trapped, like caught in my own trap. If someone said no to a proposal, I interpreted that as they're saying no to me. But there could be so many other reasons, right? The, I didn't do a good job of explaining the value. I didn't, uh, maybe it's not the right time for them. Maybe the budget doesn't fit. There's so many factors why someone would say no. And I was uh, taking it as they're saying no to me that they're not I'm respecting my worth. And it's so much more complex and nuanced than that. Um, yeah, I, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I really like the take on that. And that's something that I'm
0: gonna have to be pondering because it actually sounds like something that my business and life coach would say. So I should <laughs> share that with her. <laughs> and actually, so that brings me to a question about you. How long have you been running Findable?
1: Uh, I've been running Findable for three and a half years. I've been doing SEO for much longer. Oh, mm-hmm. well, that's really cool. And honestly,
0: you seem like you've been in business a lot longer than three years, just because you, you speak with so much authority and knowledge. And uh, thank you. I really appreciate all the value that you're bringing to my podcast right now. And i I would like to know... If a home professional is like, okay, I need to get more high-end clients. Yeah. What should their primary course of action be? Because a lot of people feel like they should be in 10 different places at once, throwing things against the wall and just seeing what sticks. But they can't do that. That's not practical. So what would you suggest?
1: Yeah. There are a lot of different factors that could be coming into play. I really do think positioning is kind of the overarching um, theme. So it could be that you're saying yes to everything. You want high-end clients, but you keep saying yes to the low-end ones that are taking up your time and then also bogging down your portfolio, which brings me to my next point. It could be that your portfolio is not updated or tight, right? It doesn't... I think your portfolio really speaks to like law of attraction. If you want to attract more high end clients or it may not be high end, but like a certain type of of work, then your project, your portfolio, sorry, your website should be speaking to that. It should be reflective of that. So you attract more of it. It could be that you're doing a little kind of going back to saying yes and being outdated. You're doing a little bit of everything. So you're not really developing your expertise in something specific. You could be doing commercial and residential and not really positioning yourself an expert in any of them. And so you're not really providing the high quality services that high-end clients are looking for. And it could be related to your operations as well. Maybe you need to... Something that I see a lot is sometimes the website is just really outdated. If A lot of designers haven't updated their website in like five years and it could be as simple as that. It could be that you your positioning is right. Project portfolio is fantastic. It's it's clear that you're an expert or a specialist in something, but the website needs a, a refresh. So there are a lot of different factors, but I find those are the most common when it comes to sales and marketing business development.
0: Mm-hmm. So that person who is like, okay, I need to revamp my interior design visual presence online it sounds like the first thing they need to do is go curate their own portfolio a little bit better and that's of course hard if they're like fairly new to interior design and they just don't have a lot of projects and do you have any advice for those people who are like I've got one project and I don't even want more of that type of project but it's the only professional project I have
1: yeah, I think it's that's like a catch-22, right? I think no matter where you are, ask yourself, like how would you answer this this, or how would you fill in the blanks? I want to be the go-to person for blank, right? So being very clear of like what is your North Star? How do you want to position yourself? How do you want to be known? And that will help you look at your website, your marketing, how you run your business, and then, you know, take decisions accordingly. So if you're just starting out, be clear about the kind of projects you do want to take on because when you're just starting out, you're just willing to take any kind of projects, right? And you don't think about, you know, the big vision. So have that in mind. What kind of projects do you want? And to be honest, and I'm like, I don't care if I'm not advocating for SEO all the time. I'm just speaking as a business owner to business owners. When you're just starting out, don't worry about marketing, <laughs> like, go out, make the right connections, do the right work, and you'll start to get those projects. So I don't think you need to be marketing yourself on social media and webs and your website, when you don't have any projects, because you don't have anything to work with. So like, you got to find alternative ways, the old school ways, you know, knocking on doors, talking to the right people, not, not literally, I mean, maybe literally knocking on doors, but I mean, like, making phone calls, talking to people. Well, I actually have a client that specializes in cafes and she goes to cafes and she gives, she introduces herself and, and gives her business cards. So like maybe that's what you have to do. I think when you're just starting out, be very clear on the kind of projects you want and chase them mm. in person. And then the next will come. Then you'll have material to market with on your website and it'll be easier to market yourself as as that because you have the material projects back
0: yeah because really walking into the cafe and giving the business card that is a form of marketing it's old school that doesn't mean it doesn't work and forging different business relationships so if designers have good relationships with builders you know that's like the businesses that grow the fastest are the ones that have relationships with other businesses from what I have seen. So in the first two years of business, which seems to be like the slowest moving and the most difficult because it's overwhelming. You know, a a brand new business, everything is new. You have to get your system set up. You have to figure out who you want to target and why and all these things. You focus on the old school marketing tactics of joining an industry association, joining maybe a business networking group in general. I know that BNI is a popular one, uh, at least here in the US. It's hit or miss because it depends on the people in the group. But this is where I do feel that a lot of designers need to give themselves permission to experiment and try things and deviate from thinking they only can use the internet to market their businesses. Because while that is a huge portion of it, it's not everything. You know, back to what we said earlier, there's never going to be just that one thing that grows your business.
1: Yeah. Can I give you like an example of myself? Absolutely. So we get i would say i gotta check the numbers um i would say we get about 60 to 70 percent of our business from seo and that's intentional like i really want to walk the talk but that other like 40 percent, we get it from conferences the public speaking gigs that i do we get it from referrals and uh, a lot of it's and, and social media but it's kind of hard to pinpoint so for example I have a spreadsheet of 200 contacts that i keep in touch with these could be people that have reached out but we didn't it was not the right time so i put them on the spreadsheet and i follow up a year later it could be other people in the same space that hand out like consultants or other marketers like a graphic designer that you know they might get a client says hey i like your graphic design work do you know anyone that does SEO and they can keep us in mind so I find referrals and social media are very, very closely aligned. By being active on social media, our referral network, that, that network of 100 people I have on the spreadsheet, keep me in mind and send me referrals. But then I also got to nurture those relationships. So I, you know, every week I look at that spreadsheet and I reach out to people and make sure I nurture those relationships and Nurturing those relationships it might be calling them, checking in, sending an email. It could be commenting on their social media posts. So, yeah, and like I had to go out in person and build out that e that list. I was an email list, that that spreadsheet of 150 contacts. I went to networking events. I went to conferences. I just DM'd, cold outreach people that I think would be a good relationship, book strategic partnership. So it's all an ecosystem. It's it's really you got to start somewhere and then you master that channel and you keep at it, but then you add another one. You know what I mean? Like it's, yeah.
0: Yeah, I like that. Like adding them intentionally, you know, and not adding them because everyone else is doing them. And then again, where we have to be so careful as business owners. And I think the longer we're in business too, the more confident we become and the more sure of ourselves. Like, I know I don't need that, but I do need this. And the confidence piece is incredibly important. When it comes to marketing, because it's something that I remind my clients of often is, if you don't feel confident in what you're offering, your clients or your potential clients can sense that. Yeah, and that becomes a problem, and it usually plagues the newer business owners. So I'm glad that you mentioned that. It it really comes down to the grassroots, boots on the ground, go talk to people in real life.
1: That's the fundamental. That doesn't change. Like, yeah, it doesn't yeah. change at all.
0: No matter how many new AI tools we have, we are still humans talking to other humans. And that's really what business is. So I would like to know then how your program works, because you are not just doing a little bit here and a little bit there for people. You're taking them through this entire experience from what I could see on your website, which was very nicely laid out, by the way. So tell me
1: what that looks like from start to finish when you're working with a client. So because we work with the same types of businesses all the time, um, we've been able to create a program or a one-year curriculum. Everyone receives the same services. We go through the same process. And uh, by the end of that full year, that, that one-year curriculum process, typically we're able to get clients five times more website traffic and about three times more sales inquiries. How we do that, the first month is about strategy. So we interview the business, get to know their target customers, we build out a content strategy that takes our projects into consideration, and we also do a technical audit. Months two and month three, we optimize the website and we fill in any gaps. So oftentimes businesses don't have like a service page or they don't have a process in the back end to track leads. So we're doing a lot of that grunt work, making sure that the what we call the funnel is in place. And then months four and onwards, we are doing Google ads, putting out content and doing digital PR. Then at that point, it's just like rinse and repeat every month or every quarter kind of looks similar by the end of the year. Yeah. And that's how we're able to five times website traffic, three times sales inquiries, some of our clients, they may have a marketing person in house. And I see marketing person very loosely. Sometimes it's like a project manager that has a marketing background. Sometimes it is an assistant. And they're holding our hand or we're holding their hand. We're holding each other's hands. <laughs> <laughs> they're, uh, they're kind of like the British, really. Like they're kind of spokesperson internally for the company. They know a little bit about marketing. Maybe they're more well-versed in social media, but SEO is just... Too much of a beast, too technical. So we work together to to execute the the marketing strategy, and then by the end of the year, sometimes we continue doing it for them, or we pass it on to them, and they're able now they have the infrastructure, the strategy, the tools in place to build out a marketing team internally. So it's really great that we have such an efficient process where we can we can do that.
0: Yes, yes, exactly, and that's the beauty of having a niche market and not just serving anybody who comes along. Going right. back you said earlier of designers need to know exactly who they're targeting so they can have the same tight systems and processes and just be able to scale more efficiently because they already know what this client needs and they know they can serve them well and their team has already been delegated to so it's not all on the business owner. Now you had mentioned that every client who comes to you gets the same services and you said that part of that is uh, strategy and the content creation. So what does the content creation look like? I know you mentioned coming up with blog post topics or are you guys actually writing the blog posts for them start to finish? And then how do you approach things like Pinterest? I know that social isn't something that you guys offer, which like I totally get. So can you kind of give my listeners a breakdown
1: of what is or is not included? Yeah, so it depends. Uh, we have three different packages. One is just strategy and then it's up to the company to execute. The other is a hybrid, it's strategy and partial execution. And then the biggest investment is strategy and we execute it all so we can write the all of the blog posts so that means that we come up with the strategy we we ideate the the topics we research keywords um, and then every month we choose a topic we write a brief we interview the client then we uh, write the blog post and upload and optimize it to the site or if you have someone in-house, then they can do the writing. We take care of everything else. So we give you the, the topics. We give you the keywords, the, an outline, some guidelines to, to write the blog post. You write it. We review it together, making sure that you follow the SEO guidelines. And then we upload and optimize it to the site and track the analytics. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's really amazing. I mean, And the fact that you work with people
0: on a 12-month cycle also shows yeah. that it's not just about uh, turning and burning, you know, It because these things all um, time. time. They take, because I've definitely heard from people who are like, I published three blog posts. Why do I have more clients yet? And it's like, well, I wish it worked that way. That would be amazing. But it takes time. And like you said before, it's a, it's a whole ecosystem. So you can have part of the ecosystem and be really good at it. But if you don't have the rest of it, then it's like, well, it's incomplete. So, have you found that the twelve months is really how long it takes to fully get set up, or is in that twelve months
1: you get set up and then you actually start to see progress? Mm, good question. So, because a lot of our clients, at least the the ones that are just hiring us for strategy, are usually bigger companies with marketing teams, and They have a foundation in place and now they're looking to accelerate their marketing. And so we just do strategy for them. But the ones that are really asking us to help them execute the strategies, most of the times they have never done SEO. They've never really done too much to their website. So we're getting them from zero to one. And it's a lot more work to get from zero to one. So usually it takes 12 months to just build a foundation. Like I said, a lot of them don't even have a service page. They're not using the keyword interior designer near me or the city on the anywhere on the website and a lot of them don't even have a process to track all the increase that come in if I asked you, hey Kate, how many leads did you get this month and you say five and I said, well, where did those five come from? You say, I don't know. Then we've got a measurement. We've got an analytics problem, right? Because then how do you say at the end of the year, yeah, SEO is working if you can't tell many, how many leads came in from SEO. So for the first year is really building a foundation. If you're in a not a very competitive market or if you are investing in ads, you can see a really tremendous ROI. But yeah, typically within 12 months to 18 months, we're seeing clients by the end. They're getting three times more sales increase, but it's a gradual transition to get there. It's not like in month five, you're getting three times more increase. It's by the end of the 12 months that it compounds uh, to a point where you're getting three times more sales, five times more, I think.
0: Yeah. Well, I'm glad that you shared that because it definitely puts things in perspective and it's just good to have the realistic expectations of this takes time. It takes effort. It takes intentionality. And that's what makes your whole program so valuable. So if somebody is interested in taking the first step with you,
1: how would they do that? Reach out. Email me. You can book a call through our website and we would start with a 20-minute introduction call just to get to know your business and see if we're a fit. And then if we are, we can talk about next steps. Usually it starts with a one-hour consultation and we really get into the nitty-gritty of your business, your goals. And um, yeah, we don't sell people right away. We really want to make sure that we're a fit and that you understand what this is before you sign a one-year commitment to to us. So yeah, you can find us at findabledigitalmarketing.com or a little bit on Instagram and LinkedIn, but our website is really the best place to find us. Oh,
0: awesome. Well, thank you, Daniela, for coming on the show and giving so much helpful information. I mean, you are clearly a professional in what you do, and I'm glad that we were able to connect. So thank you very much.
1: Likewise. Thank you so much for having me.
0: Well, everyone, make sure that you go check out Findable's website. And if nothing else, just read their blog because it's very interesting and very informative. And I highly encourage you to reach out to Daniela if you find that you need help with SEO, you need help just getting all your ducks in a row because these things take time. So you better get started now versus waiting until next year. All right, guys, until next time, keep your marketing simple, your message clear, and I will talk to you soon. Thanks for listening. Visit us at thekateshowpodcast.com where we empower home professionals with marketing confidence.